Would you open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verses 1 to 4, as we continue in our study, not only of the Gospel of Luke, but specifically of the Lord's Prayer over the past three weeks. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 4, would you stand please for the reading of God's Word? Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray that you would take your words by your Holy Spirit, plant them deep in our hearts, and bring about life change. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As we've seen over the past couple of weeks in this model prayer that our Savior taught us to pray, we saw a couple things. First of all, that we have permission to call God Father through faith in Jesus Christ. We come to our Father in prayer with confidence based upon the person and work of Jesus And the Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and by the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. So we come with boldness and an intimacy by the Spirit, crying, Abba. We've learned also that our preeminent concern should be for the glory of God. That our prayers should be God-centered and not me-centered or we-centered. God is concerned for His own glory, and God's concerns should be our concerns. And we learned last week that Jesus teaches us to pray for two things related to the glory of God, the hallowing of God's name and the coming of God's kingdom. Remember, when we pray, hallowed be your name, we're saying, Father, we're asking with great urgency that you would act in such a way that your great name would be known and treasured among all the peoples, that your fame and renown would reach the ends of the earth, and that all the peoples would trust you and love you and worship you with all of their hearts. It's a great missionary prayer. It's a desire for the gospel to get to the ends of the earth, that that God's name and his fame, his renown would spread to the ends of the earth. And when we pray, your kingdom come, we're asking God to bring about all of the promises concerning the ultimate rule and reign of King Jesus. Peace, justice, righteousness, judgment, salvation, that all of the enemies of God would be put under the feet of Jesus 
And we know the last enemy to be destroyed is death. No more tears, no more crying, no more pain, no more suffering. Resurrection bodies, new heavens, new earth, ruling and reigning with Christ forever. We're praying your kingdom come. We recognize that right now that we are in the already but not yet. Christ has inaugurated his kingdom. But one day it will be consummated and he will reign forever and ever and ever. So we pray your kingdom come. And today we're going to see that we are absolutely dependent upon God for everything that we need. Completely and continuously. Jesus teaches us to ask our Father to provide for us. To provide three things specifically in this prayer. Things that we need every day. Food, forgiveness, and fortitude. Food, forgiveness, and fortitude. So when we pray, we need to remember that we are completely and continuously, day by day, dependent upon God for, number one, the food that we need. Jesus says, pray, give us each day our daily bread. Now, this is a strange thing for us to pray, is it not? We don't think much about bread. In fact, many of us try to avoid bread with everything that we are. We say we need to go on a diet so we avoid bread. Or some of us have sicknesses that we can't get near bread. And if you've ever been to Israel with us and had some fresh bread, you will appreciate this a little bit more. Because it is so delicious. It is so wonderful and such a part of life. I can remember when I was at SMU, right down the street from us in Dallas was Mrs. Baird's Bakery. And every single day, we smelled fresh bread. And we thought about bread a lot. We couldn't stop thinking about bread because it smelled so good. A couple weeks ago at our retreat, our men's retreat, H.B. Charles Jr. said this. He said, when our prayers shift from God's kingdom to our kitchen, we are still praying about God's kingdom. You see, living under the rule and reign of God means depending upon him for everything. Looking to him for everything. Trusting him for everything even the smallest of things, even the things that we, that are necessary to us that we presume to have, that we expect to have. Jesus teaches us to pray, give us each day our daily bread. And we need to understand that God's glory and what is necessary and good for his children, these things are not at odds with one another. God delights to care for his children. 
Luke 12, 32 says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The implication is, if it's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom, will he not be gracious to provide everything that you need? So don't worry. Don't fret. Romans 8, 32 says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things, all things. So when we pray, Father, give us, we're acknowledging something. We're acknowledging that he is the source. We look to him to provide for us that which we need. We recognize that we are dependent that we're needy and he is not. He is God and he is the source of everything that we need. John Calvin says, it is indeed the true proof of our faith when we ask nothing but from God and not only acknowledge him to be the only fountain of all blessings but feel that his fatherly kindness extends to the smallest matters so that he does not disdain to take care of even our flesh. The Lord cares for us and he meets our needs and he delights to give us daily bread. And yet many of us don't think about daily bread because we have a week's supply of food in our refrigerators. We have bank accounts, we have 401ks, we have been diligent to save, to prepare for the future. And many times we look not to the Lord, but we look to what we have laid up. We're not disciplined to pray daily, Lord, give us today what we need. Because we've already provided for ourselves the things that we need for the days to come. Over 500 years ago, Calvin said some things that we can so relate to, and I think we can see that it's in every generation. John Calvin said this, it is certain that Christ has given a rule for prayer which belongs equally to all the godly. Now some of their number are rich men who have their yearly produce laid up in store. Why does he command them to ask what they have at home and to ask every day those things of which they have an abundant supply for a year? The reply is easy, he says. These words remind us that unless God feeds us daily, the largest accumulation of the necessities of life will be of no avail. Though we may have an abundance of corn and wine and everything else, unless they are watered by the secret blessing of God, they will suddenly vanish or we will be deprived of the use of them or they will lose their natural power to support us so that we shall famish in the midst of plenty. 
There is therefore no reason to wonder if Christ invites the rich and the poor indiscriminately to apply to their heavenly Father for the supply of their wants. No man will sincerely offer such a prayer as this unless he has learned by the example of the Apostle Paul to be full and to be hungry, to abound and to suffer need, quoting Philippians 4.12, to endure patiently his poverty or his humble condition and to not be intoxicated by a false confidence in his abundance. And brothers and sisters, may I say to all of us that many times we are intoxicated by the abundance of the supply that we have. The same language was used in the Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision that say, preserve me from the intoxication that comes of prosperity. We might pray, Lord, help us to depend upon you for daily bread. May we get back to the basics and learn to depend upon God for everything. The breath that we have, the bread that we need, everything. An expression of complete dependence. In Proverbs chapter 30, the writer says this, These are the words of Agur in Proverbs 30, verses 7 to 9. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Is that your prayer? Is that my prayer? Lord, guard me, protect me so that I don't trust in myself. That I don't look to the things that I've laid up, but that I depend upon you for everything. Now, today, and each day. Jesus teaches us to pray for the things that we need, the forgiveness or the, the food that we need, but secondly, the forgiveness we need. He says, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And literally it could be since we ourselves. And it's emphatic. Since we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And you might say, I don't forgive everyone who is indebted to me. 
What he's teaching us is, really, this is an argument from the lesser to the greater. Leon Morris, the commentator, helps us on this. He says, the thought moves from the lesser to the greater, since even sinful people like us forgive, we can confidently appeal to a merciful God. See, we have to forgive one another to stay in relationship with one another, to restore brokenness between each other, and we're constantly having to do it because we continually sin against one another. So forgive us our sins, we pray to the Lord, since we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Now when we talk about forgiveness, let's think about this. There's really two kinds of forgiveness that we, that we see in the scriptures. One would be judicial forgiveness, or we're talking about justification. It's forgiveness based upon the once-for-all sacrifice of Christ, that, that we're forgiven, that our trespasses are canceled because of the finished work of Christ. And we see this in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, and we can say past, present, and future, all of our sins, all of our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Really, this kind of forgiveness is tied to our justification being made right with God. The forgiveness that we needed to be made right with God. Nailed to the cross. Canceled the record of our debt. It's the language of the courtroom. But believers have been set free from the penalty of sin and the power of sin. It no longer has dominion over us, Romans chapter 6. But Romans chapter 7 reminds us that we all have indwelling sin, that we all struggle with sin, that we continue to sin. We don't continue in sin, but we continue to struggle. We continue to sin. Tim Keller says, all of life is repentance. We ask for forgiveness when we confess our sins and put our trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and the promise of everlasting life. And we continue to confess our sins and ask for forgiveness until the day that we see Jesus face to face. We've been set free from the power of sin and the penalty of sin, but not the presence of sin. It still remains, and we struggle, we fight. And so we ask for forgiveness. And what we're looking at here when Jesus says, pray this, forgive us our sins. He's not talking about the kind of 
justification, being made right with God, that kind of forgiveness. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to us who believe in Christ, who have been made right through Christ. What he's looking at is the ongoing need, the continuous need for the disciples of Christ to ask for forgiveness. See, this in the language of the courtroom, this is the language of the family room. This is in the family. Because our sin breaks fellowship with God. And this kind of asking for forgiveness is a constant need to restore fellowship with God. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, the Apostle John says this, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This cleansing and washing is based upon the finished work of Christ. And he says he's faithful to forgive us and he's just to forgive us. In fact, he would be unjust to not forgive us because Jesus has paid the cost for our sins. It would be unjust to his son to not forgive us. And so the Apostle John reminds us, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And we need this every day. We need to pray this every day. We need to sense this every day that we need his forgiveness. That our sins make a separation. It breaks fellowship. It doesn't cut us off from our Father. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. But it will affect the way that we live. It will affect our joy. It will affect our worship. It will affect our fellowship with fellow believers. Andrew read a passage from Psalm 52, David's confession, I mean 51, David's famous confession after his sin with Bathsheba. There's another one in Psalm 32, and listen to the words that David prays. Psalm 32, verse 3, he says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, If you go back to verse 1, he, he says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Remember that word blessed is happy. Happy in the Lord is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. David is describing how he was spiritually when he refused to confess his sin. He was a believer. He was a, a follower of the Lord. And yet for almost a year, he refused to confess his sin, and he was wasting away. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. 
Then he says in verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. He stopped hiding. He uncovered his sin before the Lord that the Lord already saw. But he uncovered it before the Lord, and the Lord covered it and restored him. Even in Psalm 51, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Let me ask you this. Is your joy gone? Well, maybe you need to ask the Lord. I need to ask the Lord, search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Show me my sin that I may confess it and be healed and be forgiven, cleansed. Charles Spurgeon says this, do you see the value of this grace-led confession of sin? He's commenting on Psalm 32, on David's confession. Do you see the value of this grace-led confession of sin? It is to be prized above everything. For in every case where there is a genuine, gracious confession, mercy is freely given. Not because the repentance and confession deserve mercy, but for Christ's sake. May God be praised. There is always healing for the broken heart. The fountain is ever flowing to cleanse us from our sins. Brothers and sisters, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. One commentator says, authentic Christian living involves honest and ongoing acknowledgement of one's sins. See, we need forgiveness every day. And we need authenticity every day. We need honesty before the Lord every day that we would recognize our need and look to Him for the forgiveness that we need. And the fount that flows comes from the once for all offering of Jesus Christ on the cross. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins, but we can have full and free forgiveness through the work of Christ. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. We need food, we need forgiveness, but we also need fortitude. Number three, the fortitude we need. Jesus teaches us to pray and lead us not into temptation. Now, when I mean fortitude, listen to a, a modern current dictionary that gives us a definition. Fortitude means the mental and emotional strength in facing difficulty, adversity, danger, or temptation courageously. And the reality is that as we struggle in this already and not yet time, we struggle against indwelling sin. We struggle against the lures of the world. We struggle with temptation. And Jesus teaches us to pray, Father, lead us not into temptation. 
This is a request for divine help, divine aid, grace to help us not fall into temptation. We all will be tempted. This is not to avoid temptation. This is to have victory in the face of temptation. Lead us not into. The word is an unusual word. If you remember when we went through the book of Hebrews uh, in chapter 1, I believe it's verse 2, where the writer to the Hebrews is talking about Jesus, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And we said, this is not a picture of Atlas upholding the world. What this word means is the Greek word pharaoh, and it means to pick up something and take it to a, a destination. And it's very intentional. It's very purposeful. It's picking up and taking it to a desired end. And the word that is used right here in lead us is based upon that word. It's not pharaoh, it's ice pharaoh, and it, and it means carry us into, lead us into, bring us into. And it has this idea. Carry us to the end that we don't give in to temptation. Lead us to the end that we don't give in. Cause us not to give in. This is a prayer for divine aid. Recognizing that we are so prone to give in. We're so weak and we, we're, we're constantly giving in and we need help from the Lord that we would not give in to temptation. John Owen said this in 1658. It's as relevant today as it was back then, but listen to this. He says, our blessed Savior knows full well our state and condition. He knows the power of temptations, having had the experience of it. He knows our vain confidence and the reserves we have concerning our ability to deal with temptations as he found it in Peter, but he knows our weaknesses and folly and how soon we are cast to the ground. The Lord was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. He knows how to deal with temptation and he has the power to deal with temptation. So we look to the Lord for help in the face of temptation. And we pray daily, lead us not into temptation. Help us, carry us to the end that we don't give in. The reality is many times we don't want to pray this because we want to give in. Have you ever been there? The temptation comes and you know that if you ask for help, he will help you. And you don't ask for help because you don't want help. You want to give in. And you wouldn't tell anybody that, but the Lord knows. Because he knows our hearts, he knows our desires. And that's the reality of sinful flesh. And we live in a sinful state, frame, we struggle. And until the Lord comes back or until we see him face to face, 
we will struggle. In fact, one of the evidences of our salvation is that we fight, is that we struggle. Because if you're not struggling with sin, if you don't even recognize sin, you've got a greater problem than just the fight against sin. We're all going to struggle with sin, and we all need help in the struggle, and we need deliverance. We need help from heaven. Owen went on to say in, in his book, which was, it was a writing, it's called Of Temptation, The Nature and Power of It. He talks about how the Lord delivers us. I want you to listen to this. He can send an affliction that shall mortify your heart unto the matter of the temptation, whatever it be, that, that that which was before a sweet morsel under the tongue shall neither have taste or relish it unto you. Your desire to it shall be killed. Have you ever experienced that? Lord, take away the desire. I had the desire for something sinful. And you pray and the Lord takes away the desire. You don't even want it. And that's one way that he can lead you not into temptation to carry you in such a way that you don't fall into it, he can take away the desire completely. Owen goes on to say, he can by some providence alter the whole state of things from which your temptation does arise, so taking fuel from the fire, causing it to go out of itself. He also says, he could tread down Satan under your feet that he shall not dare to do anything anymore to your disadvantage. This is a, a prayer of protection, of help. Owen says, he can give you such a supply of grace that you may be freed, though not from the temptation itself, yet from the tendency and the danger of it. See, this is not, Lord, keep us from facing temptation. This is keep us from falling into temptation. Be, being freed, Owen says, from the tendency and the danger of it. Has the Lord granted you victory in one of your struggles against sin? Maybe you look at as a, a younger person now, as an older person, you say, you know what? I struggle with other sins more than, I, than that one that I used to struggle with. That was a primary thing I struggled with, but the Lord has granted me victory. I've seen progress, and I don't struggle as much with that one as I do maybe with something else now. Removing the tendency and the danger of it. Owen says also, he can give you such a comfortable persuasion of good success in the issue that you shall have refreshment in your trials and be kept from the trouble of temptation. The Lord could encourage you and strengthen you so that you don't fall into it. You just have a confidence. He could give you great faith. And finally, Owen says, he can utterly remove it and make you a complete conqueror. And innumerable other ways he has of keeping you from entering into temptation so as to be foiled by it. That's really the issue. 
It's being foiled by the temptation and falling into it. And that's what Jesus is teaching us to pray. Lead us not into temptation. See, we need this help. We need this kind of provision every single day. Every day, we need the Lord to provide for us the food that we need. The forgiveness that we need. And the fortitude that we need in the struggle against sin. Do we pray with that kind of urgency daily? Recognizing our need daily? Or are we living out of other reserves. Maybe it's other reserves from your refrigerator or your bank accounts or your 401ks or past experiences of grace, past movements of the Lord in your life. Or is this a present recognition of your need right now, today, and every day? We need you, Lord. Every hour, we need you. Let's pray. Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Lord, this is a cry from your children. We cry, Abba, we need you. And we confess, Lord, that we don't always act like we need you. We, we come across very independent and self-sufficient. We look to other things and I pray that today that you would change us, that you would change our minds, change our hearts, and that we would learn to look to you every day for the things that we need. Lord, help us to be good stewards of resources that you provide, but help us not to be tempted to look to those things to save us, to deliver us, to provide for us. We confess that we are so prone to do just that. We look at our 401k balances and as they go up and down, we find our moods going up and down. And some trust in horses and some trust in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Help us to trust you. Help us to look to you. And Lord, there Maybe some here today that are looking to themselves for everything. For provision, for protection. For everything, Lord. They're looking to themselves for salvation. But I pray that today that you would open blind eyes. That they may see the glory of of Jesus Christ crucified and raised from the dead. The one who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for, for many. The one who came to give his life 
so that we could be forgiven and made right with God and so that we could have eternal life. So Lord, would you grant salvation to some today who need it? This is the greatest need. So Lord, would you grant that today? And we pray all of these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.